0: Section 5 of The Haunted Organist of Hurley-Burley and Other Stories This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brett Montgomery The Haunted Organist of Hurley-Burley and Other Stories by Rosa Mulholland The Country Cousin, Chapter 3 old tony spence was taken ill that spring and hetty was a good deal occupied in attending on him anthony came as usual in the evenings but he did not expect to see hetty much and primula and he amused themselves together hetty's face got paler during this time and she fell into a habit of indulging in reveries which were not happy ones if one might judge by the knotted clasp of her hands and the deep line of pain between her brows her housekeeping duties were hurried over She fetched the wrong book from the bookshelves for customers, her sewing was thrown aside, her only wish seemed to be to sit behind her father's bed-curtain, with her head leaned against the wall and her eyes closed to the world. Sorrow was coming to seek for her, and she hid from it as long as she could. One night old Spence asked to have a particular volume brought him from the shop, and Hetty took her lamp in hand and went down to fetch it for him. There was a faint light already burning in the place, which Hetty did not at first perceive, as she opened the door at the top of the staircase and put her foot on the first step to descend. She went down a little way, but was stopped by the sound of voices. Anthony and Primula were there. "'Yes,' Primula was saying in her soft, cooing voice. "'I love you better than anyone. You fought for me, and I love you.' "'Hetty,' murmured Anthony. "'Hetty won't mind,' whispered Primula. "'She gives me her money and her ribbons.' she won't refuse to give me you too i'm sure of that they moved a little from behind the screen of a projecting stand of books and saw hetty standing on the stairs gazing straight before her and looking like a sleepwalker. primula gave a little cry and covered her face hetty started turned and fled up into the sitting-room shutting the door behind her she sat down at the table and leaned her head heavily upon her hands the blow she had been half dreading half believing to be an impossibility had fallen and crushed her anthony loved her no more he had taken away his love from her and given it to primula who with pleading eyes and craving hands had robbed and cheated her the greediness which she had tried to satisfy with ribbons and shillings had not scrupled to grasp the only thing she would have kept and held till death as her very own hetty's thoughts spun round and round in the whirl of new and uncomprehended agony She had no thought of doing or saying anything, no wish to take revenge, nor to give reproach. She was stunned, bruised, benighted, and willing to die. Primula came creeping up the staircase, after crying for an hour all alone among the old books. Life was very troublesome, thought Primula. Everybody was selfish and cross, and everything was either wrong or disagreeable. People petted and loved her one moment, and were angry with her the next. Anthony had rushed away from her in a fit of grief, although she had told him she loved him, and had given up a fine gentleman for his sake. Hetty, who used to be so tender with her and so ready to give her everything, had looked so dreadfully there on that step of the stairs that she, Primula, was afraid to go up, though she was tired and longing to be in bed. Sobbing and fretting, she crept up the staircase, and, her desire to be comfortable overcoming her fear, she opened the door of the sitting-room and came in hetty was sitting quietly at the table with her head leaned on her hands and she did not look up that is a good thing thought primula how dreadful if she were to scold me tis well it is not her way to make a talk about things and she stole across the floor and shut herself up in the bedroom it was quite late at night when hetty followed her into the bedroom and then primula was fast asleep with a sheet pulled over her head and face as if she would hide herself from the glance of hetty's anger even while she was happily unconscious of it. Hetty's lamp burned itself out, and she kneeled down in the dark to say her prayers. Her knees bent themselves mechanically in a certain corner of the room, but no words would come to Hetty's lips, and no clear thoughts to her mind. She only remembered that she ought to pray, and stretched out her arms, dumbly hoping vaguely that God would know what she meant. Nothing would come into her mind but pictures of the happy hours that Anthony and she had spent together in their love, she fell asleep stupidly dwelling on these memories and unable to realize that anthony had given her up then she dreamed that she had awakened out of a terrible dream in which anthony had seemed to have forgotten her for primula how joyful she was in that dream how she laughed and sang for ecstasy and chattered about the foolish fancies that will come into people's minds when they are asleep and then she wakened and saw the dawn light shining on primula's golden head and sweetly tinted face and she knew and remembered that primula was the beloved one and that she hetty was an exile and an outcast from her paradise for evermore then in that moment of exquisite anguish in the leisure of the quiet dawn a terrible passion of anger and hatred broke out in her breast everything that the light revealed had something to tell of her lost happiness every moment that sped was bringing her nearer to the hour when she must rise up and give anthony to primula and stand aside and behold their bliss and accept their thanks. She dared not let that moment come. She would not have it. She could not confront it. She should do them some mischief if she were to see them together again before her as she had seen them last night. What then was she to do with herself? She dared not kill them. She could not wish them dead. It would not comfort her at all that they should suffer or be swept out of the world to atone for their sin. They had murdered her heart, and they could not, by any suffering of theirs, bring back the dead to life. What then must she do with herself?' The only thing that remained for her was to get away, far out of their sight and out of their reach, never to behold them, nor to hear of them again, between this and the coming of her death. She sprang out of bed and dressed herself hastily, keeping her back turned upon the sleeping primula, and, creeping down the stairs, she got out of the house. She felt no pang at leaving her home, and never once remembered her father. Her only thought was to get away, away where Anthony could never find her more. She hurried along the deserted streets and got out on the Downs, and then she slackened her speed a little, quite out of breath. She knew that the path across the Downs led to a little town, about ten miles away, in the direction of London. She had been too long accustomed to the practical management of her father's affairs not to feel conscious, from mere habit and without reflection, that she must work when she got to London in order to keep herself unknown. She would help in a shop somewhere, or get sewing at a dressmaker's. In the meantime. Her only difficulty was to get there. The whirl of her passion had carried her five miles away from Smokeford when she came to a little roadside inn. She was faint with exhaustion, feeling the waste caused by excitement, want of sleep and food, and by extraordinary exertion. She bought some bread and sat on a stone at the gate of a field to eat it. She saw the ploughman come into the field at a distant opening and watched him coming towards her, a grey head and stooping figure, an old man, meekly submitting his feebleness to the yoke of the day's labour, though knowing that time had deprived him of his fitness for it. Hetty watched him. Her eyes followed him as if fascinated. The look in his face had drawn her out of herself somehow, and made her forget her trouble. She wanted to go and help him to hold the plough, to ask if he had had his breakfast, to put her hand on his shoulder and be kind to him. She did not know what it was about him that bewitched her. He turned his plough beside her, and as he did so he noticed the pale girl sitting by the gate, and a smile lit up his rugged face. Then it was that Hetty knew why she had watched him. He looked like her father. Her father! He was ill, and she had deserted him, had left him among those who would vex and neglect him. The untasted bread fell from Hetty's hands. The tears overflowed her eyes. She fell prone on the grass, and sobbed for her own wickedness, and for the grief and desolation of the sick old man at home. "'What is the matter, lass?' asked the old ploughman, kindly bending over her. Hetty rose up, ashamed. "'Sir,' she said humbly, "'I was running away from my father, who is ill, but I am going back to him.' "'That is right, lass. Stick by the poor old father. Maybe he was hard on you.' "'No, no, no. He never was hard on me. I have a sorrow of my own, sir, that made me mad. I forgot all about him until I saw his look in your face.' i shall run back now sir and be in time to get him his breakfast the clock of the roadside inn struck six and hetty set off running back to smokeford she ran so fast that she had not time to think of how she should act when she got home when arrived there she found she could have a long day to think of it for primula had gone to her work-room and there was nobody about the house but sib and her father and herself the old man had never missed her "'but Sib met her on the threshold "'and looked at her dusty garments "'with a wondering face. "'Well, Hetty,' she said, "'you did take an early start "'out of us this morning.' "'I wanted a walk,' said Hetty, "'throwing off her cloak "'and making a change "'in her forlorn appearance. "'Is my father's breakfast ready? "'I'm afraid I am late.' "'Old Tony Spence did not even remark "'that his daughter was unusually pale, "'nor that her dress was less neat than usual, "'as she carried in his tea and toast. "'She was there,' and that was everything for him. That she had been this morning flying like a hunted thing from Smokeford, sobbing in the grass five miles away from her home, that he had lost her forever, only for a strange old man following a plough in a distant field, of these things he could never know. Hetty was one of the people who do not complain of the rigour of the struggle that is past. All day she sat by her father's side, in the old place behind the bed-curtain, he was getting better, and showed more lively interest in the world than she had seen in him since he first fell ill. Through the window he could see, as he lay, the little roof-garden, which had been accustomed to look gay every summer for years. It was colourless now, and untrimmed. dear,' he said, "'how is it that you have been neglecting your flowers? Perhaps you think it isn't worth while to keep up the little garden any longer. You will be going off with Anthony. Is any day settled for the wedding?' "'No, father,' "'said Hetty, keeping her white, drawn face well behind the curtain. "'We could not think of that until you are on your feet again.' "'In spite of her effort to save him the pain of an unhappy thought just now, "'something in her voice struck upon the old man strangely. "'He was silent for a while, and lay ruminating. "'Hetty, let me see your face.' "'Hetty looked forth from her hiding-place unwillingly, "'but kept her face as much as possible from the light. "'What do you want with it, Daddy? You have seen it before.' "'Tis a comely face, Hetty, and others have thought so besides me. I don't like the look on it now, my girl. Child, what's the matter with you? Out with it this minute. If he's going to fail you, it will be a black day for the man. I'll murder him. Hush, hush. I have told you nothing of the kind. Deny it then this minute, and tell me no lie.' Hetty sat silent and scared. "'Is it that doll from Mooridge that has taken his fancy?' He has not told me so. My lass, why do you play hide-and-seek with your old father? I know it is as I have said. Let me rise. Do not hold me, for I will horsewhip him to death. Hetty held him fast by the wrists. I will turn her out of doors without a character, and though I am a weak old man, I will punish him before the eyes of the town. For a moment Hetty's angry heart declared in silence that they would deserve such punishment and that she could bear to see it. But she said, Father, You know you will do neither of those cruel things. Listen to me, father. I am tired of Anthony. Let him go with Primula. You and I will be happy here together when they are gone. The old man fell back on his pillow, exhausted. After a time, he drew his daughter towards him, took her face between his hands, and looked at it. Let it be as you say, he said, only don't let me see them. You're a brave girl, and I'll never scold you again. "'We'll be happy when they're gone. "'We'll finish that little book of mine, "'and—and—and—' "'His voice became indistinct, "'and he dropped suddenly asleep. Hetty sat on in her corner, "'thinking over her future "'and thanking heaven that she had at least "'this loving father left to her. "'After an hour or two had passed, "'she looked up and noticed a change "'in the old man's face. "'He was dead.' End of section 5